There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Thank you for joining me on Revealing the True Light. This is a podcast devoted to the study of comparative religion, which I believe is a very important theme for two main reasons. Number one, as members of the human family and citizens of this planet, it is imperative that we understand the various belief systems that fill this world. And one reputable source says there are over 4,000 religions. Number two, if we embrace a biblical worldview, having a knowledge of world religions will make us all the more effective at sharing the gospel with others, which is of the highest importance. Now, this particular episode is all about the golden rule, and there is a far greater depth to this subject and a far greater unveiling of the mysteries of the kingdom of God than you would expect. I'm going to start by asking five questions. Number one, what is the golden rule? Number two, why do we call it the golden rule? Number three, where did it come from? Number four, is it found in the scripture base of many of the more positive religious expressions in this world outside Christianity? And number five, Why is it taught in religions that Christians would consider to be false religions? Well, let's go back to number one. What is the golden rule? Even non-religious people will quickly respond to that question and say, well, of course, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, why do we call it the golden rule? Because gold is a precious metal of great value we use it symbolically to represent the things that have great value, things that breathe excellence. And if we're going to live a life of value and have a character that is excellent, we've got to lay this foundational principle in our lives. Well, where did it come from? One primary source is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples some very challenging and profound truths. He told them, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who persecute you. And then he said, judge not that you be not judged. And after giving those kind of commands, he said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, at that particular time, the Law and the Prophets were the primary parts of what was considered to be the Word of God. Now, we refer to it as the Old Testament. Now, there are other writings, but the Law and the Prophets were the primary parts. In other words, Jesus was saying that one of the primary, most important themes in the entirety of the Word of God is summed up with this command. 
So it must be extremely important. Then right after he gave the command uh, that we should do unto others as we want them to do unto us, he followed it up with the statement, enter into the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many walk that road, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. And when he said life, he wasn't just talking about eternal life or a heavenly existence beyond this life. He was talking about having a life of value, a life of purpose, a life that is pleasing to God, and a life that impacts others, a life that is filled with divine life and divine influence. And the narrow gate is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That That's a very important part of it, at least. Now, does this command appear in other religions, in the scripture base that they revere uh, as being inspired? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to read some of them to you. This is a quote from Buddhism. Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. In Confucianism, which is the uh, ancient religion of China, is there one maxim that ought to be acted upon throughout one's whole life? Surely it is the maxim of loving kindness. Do not unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Now, they word it in the negative. Do not do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Uh, you even find it in Greek philosophy. Aristotle said, treat your friends as you would want them to treat you. And as Socrates said, do not do to others what you would not wish to suffer yourself. Hinduism says, men gifted with intelligence and purified souls should always treat others as they themselves wish to be treated. Now, I also found a quote from Judaism that became one of my favorites. Uh, it says from the Bab uh, Babylonian Talmud, what is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. That is the entire law. All the rest is commentary. Of course, we would expect this particular rule and revelation to be found in the scripture base of Judaism and Christianity. But outside of those two religions, how did the golden rule surface? How did it come to be found in these particular religious expressions outside of Judaism and Christianity? Well, there's really only three options. Number one, it just happened by a coincidence. Or number two, the prince of darkness, Satan, and those demons who work under him injected this snippet of truth into other belief systems to make them more believable, thus making them more appealing and acceptable to the masses. Or number three, God did it. Well, I tend to subscribe to number three. I certainly don't believe it was by coincidence, and I don't believe the prince of darkness, Satan, or any of his subordinate demons would want the golden rule 
to uh, be a rule that people live by. I would expect them to shun that altogether and try to divert the masses away from that concept of living. So if God did it, if it really was God who has influenced uh, the human race worldwide, regardless of culture or religion or ethnicity, in in such a way that they pick up on this concept, this ideal of living, how did it happen? Especially when we consider the fact that man is in a fallen state, how could anyone pick up on the things of God? How could anyone be sensitive to divine influence? Well, to answer that question or that series of questions, Probably the best place to go to is a wonderful scripture found in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. Now remember, this scripture was given before the availability of the experience of being born again, before Jesus went to the cross and provided the blood that would wash our souls clean and grant to us the experience of regeneration where the Spirit of God comes to live in us. None of these things were available yet. However, the proverb writer said something very profound. He said, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart, which indicates that the human spirit was somewhat functional under the Old Testament, and this is not just a reference to those who are following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but uh, to all human beings worldwide. The spirit of man, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart. Well, why do you use a lamp? In the natural, of course, uh, prior to electricity being available, you used a lamp to illuminate the darkness of night. And this is a very dark world, uh, both naturally during the nighttime hours and spiritually it's a dark world. Satan, who controls the minds of the masses, is called the prince of darkness. And prior to salvation, we are referred to as children of darkness. But there is one source of light available to those who have never heard the gospel or never been uh, confronted with the Old Testament and its truths, and that comes to them. It's filtered down through a spirit that is in a fallen state, but still barely functional. It's similar to a barely burning coal in the ashes of a, fi uh, of a place where there used to be a raging fire, and it's instead been reduced to almost nothing, but there is the substance of a, a burning coal that can be awakened back into a fiery state again. Well, that's uh, somewhat of a, a way of describing the condition of the human spirit right now. Now, I know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 uh, talks about our condition prior to salvation, and it says we were dead in trespasses and sins. But I believe that's something you might call biblical hyperbole, which is intended exaggeration. If human beings were completely dead, completely dead spiritually and soulishly and on their way to death physically because of the curse that fell on Adam and Eve, 
There would be absolutely no goodness in the world at all. No one would seek to be loving or kind or gentle or forgiving, uh, regardless of whether or not they followed religion. So there is a certain amount of reduced activity in the spirit. Well, I need to explain the triune makeup of human beings. We are spirit, soul, and body, according to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And each one of those parts has a triune function or a triune makeup. The flesh is, uh, the body is made up of flesh, bones, and blood. And then uh, the soul is made up of mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. And the spirit has three functions. One is communion with God. The second is revelation from God. And the third is conscience. Now, you need to focus on this real tightly. In a fallen state, apart from God, estranged from God, we no longer have communion with God. That was cut off when Adam and Eve fell. There is no connection with God available. Man cannot decide he's going to commune with God. God has to bridge that gap himself. So that part of the spirit is non-functional. However, there is some revelation from God that filters through. And the conscience, though it's undependable and defiled, is still functional in human beings. And so we do have a partially functional spirit. And God uses that as a vehicle to communicate a certain amount of truth uh, globally to the entire human race. Very quickly, let me give you a few scriptures that are supportive of this idea. First of all, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, and I urge you to search these scriptures out and study them more deeply on your own. But Paul is talking about the masses outside of any knowledge of God through Judaism. And he said, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And the word Godhead simply means his divine nature. So he's saying that there is an innate ability within human beings to conceive of the concept of God and to have a certain sense of his personality, his character, and our accountability to him. And so uh, that's even in a fallen state. That's even in this state of being separated from God, there's still a certain amount of light within us that will guide us the direction of truth. The next passage of scripture I want you to study is Romans chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16. And in that passage, Paul says that the Gentiles who have not the law, but they do by nature the things contained in the law are a law unto themselves. And they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So now he says that the third aspect of the human spirit is involved sometimes in people becoming more moral, more good, more godly, if you will, without 
a quote-unquote salvation experience. I know when I was a yoga teacher, I withdrew completely from the world. I was seeking God. I just didn't know how to find God. I didn't know how to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. I didn't know there was such a thing as being born again. But all I did was seek God. Uh, and, And so... It was my conscience, God dealing with me through the vehicle of my conscience and through the uh, the vehicle of an innate uh, desire for God and an ability to conceive of God. He was drawing me unto himself. I just had not found the key yet. Now, I believe that this uh, was true prior to the coming of Jesus, but it's even more true now. And the last scripture I want to give you is uh, a passage that Jesus spoke right before he left the world. He told his disciples, it is expedient or necessary for you that I go not away. For if I go not away, the comforter, the helper, in the Greek is the parakletos, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage advantage, he said, that I go away. So something's going to happen that's going to create a shift spiritually in the world. And he said, when the comforter has come, when the paracletus, the helper, is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice he did not say he'll just convict the 120 disciples in the upper room when the power of the Holy Spirit comes in there. When the comforter comes, he will convict the world. I believe there was a huge shift spiritually when Jesus rose from the dead and the power of God went global in its influence in a more intense way, wooing the hearts and minds of men. And that's why you find the golden rule in the scripture base of many religions because it's the subtle, invisible presence of God wooing the human race unto himself. Now, they need to go the rest of the way. They need to meet the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto God but by me. But if we see people of other religions as people who are inclining their hearts toward eternal things because they have a God-given longing, a thirst for eternal realities, then I believe we can more lovingly reach out to them with the beauty and the power of the name of Jesus and the story of the crucifixion that will bring completeness in their lives. Let's do it in Jesus' name. Join me on the next uh, podcast, the next episode of Revealing the True Light. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.